0: I read a, about a British cavalry officer who had taken part in the Charge of the Light Brigade. You may have heard that poem and heard about that war. And he was so traumatized after the war that he resigned. He couldn't soldier anymore. This is too much for him. He went home and found no peace at home and had to leave, leave the country. He left England and moved to America. And he just was haunted by this war. He could find no peace. Well, in the 1850s, he found just this perfect spot. It was tranquil, peaceful, everything that he was looking for in this life. And he thought, "Well, I'll just buy this little farm in this quiet place in Virginia, and uh, just live out my days and finally get the peace that I that I've been longing for." And he bought that little farm. And that little farm is called uh, named Bull Run. And so right before the Civil War, he bought Bull Run because it was so peaceful and tranquil. Everywhere he went, there was war. He couldn't find peace on this earth. Don McLean said that the Washington, D.C. has a large assortment of peace monuments and that we build after every war we fight in. And that's about the truth, that um, we're, we're all, it seems like we're all the time at war with somebody or fighting against somebody, then make altars and declarations of peace. Another man said, peace is the brief, glorious moment in history when everybody stands around and reloads. Um, Peace is hard to come by in a fallen world, isn't it? The reason it is is because of sin. It's hard to have peace in family because of sin. Somebody's always fighting. Somebody's always at odds. Hard to have peace with neighbors because of sin. Citizens of the same country at war with one another, fighting against one another. Why? Because of sin. Families, houses, churches, schools. Why? Because of sin. There's unrest and fighting and wars, James tells us, because of lust, because of sin. And as long as there's sin in this earth, there's not going to be peace. We can long for it, we can fight for it, but there's never going to be peace. One man said that everybody that talks about peace, wants it, but can't do anything about it, and people who don't talk about peace don't want it anyway, and that's about the truth. Well, tonight we're going to consider this third sweet offering unto the Lord. So chapter 1, the burn offering, chapter 2 was the meat offering, this is the third of the offerings that are sweet savor unto the Lord, and that's the peace offering, the peace offering. Well, how can you have peace? Now, as I read that chapter, it just sounds like um, directions for a butcher to cut up animals—what to c- cut and, you know, cut the flanks here and the rump over here and kidneys out and the liver over here. But what this is offering is not so much. I, the, I think the the overall point of this is the celebration of the offering, and. It was a celebration of peace. Well, how can they have peace? How can these children of Israel have peace one with another? How can they have peace with God? If sin is the cause of all the world's problems, which it is, if it's the cause of the the troubles that we have, then how can we have a peace offering? How, how does that work? How, how can there be a peace offering with God? We are an enmity with God. And how can we have peace with God if we have sin? Well, this, this peace offering deals with, with the fact that we can have peace with God. And if you take it in conjunction with the other offerings, um, I think you'll see that there is a way that you can have peace with God. And it's pictured here in the shadow of of Calvary, as we consider this offering, we will consider what it was in shadowing Christ, and how it shows that it's not only po- possible to have peace with God, but it's a blessed thing to have peace with God. <clears throat> so, there's a lot of repetition in this chapter, and in fact, it's pretty much the same thing over three times over, just with cattle, sheep, and goats. Uh, there's a little bit of variation of what how to cut the meat and so forth. But it's pretty much the same thing repeated in the first five verses, and 6 through 11, and 12 through 16. Pretty much the same thing. Um, it is you lay your head upon the head of the, the offering, the worshiper would, would uh, cut up the sacrifice, just like the burnt offering. The worshiper would be the one doing the, the butchering give it to the priest, the priest would do the, the offering and, and, and burn, this time, only portions of the animal. And then the rest of the animal was given back to the person who, who gave it. So the, the peace offering, the burn offering are mentioned together. So if you go home and look up peace offerings um, in, a, in your concordance or, or whatever, if you look up peace offerings, you'll find that they're connected with the burn offerings. You don't find where they're offering peace offerings by themselves, but it's the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, or they're offered in conjunction. I think that's important, as the Bible shows um, this picture, that the burnt offering is offered first, and then the peace offering comes after that. The worshiper brings the animal. The priest sprinkles the blood. So the the animal dies. The priest collects the blood, sprinkles sprinkles it on the altar, They burn the fat, the kidneys, and the coal above the liver, and um, they separate it, and then that meat is given back as a food offering. So in this, we can see, first of all, that um, this sacrifice had to be a pure offering, just like the other offerings that are in this book, that they have to be a pure offering without spot or blemish. Now right here, several times, three times in this one chapter, and over and over again in this book so far, it's just that constant refrain. If you're going to offer something, it has to be without spot or blemish. If you want to offer a peace offering, without spot or blemish. Burnt offering, without spot or blemish. Over and over and over, it's repeated. This was drilled into their minds that if you're going to offer something, you're going to have to bring an animal without spot or blemish. And so whenever they offer their burn offerings, they go out into the flock or the herd and they look and say, no, that one's got a spot on it. No, nope, that one's got a limp. No, that one's blind in one eye. We got to find one without spot or blemish. Well, why the rep- repetition? Why to hear that over and over again? Well, that was to remind them that the only offering that it was acceptable, God was a pure and spotless one. It was a reminder that they of themselves were not without spot or blemish. Why did they have to offer the burn offering for sin? Because they had spots and blemishes. Because they were impure. They were unclean of themselves. They needed a sin offering to cleanse them because they had spots or blemishes of sin. So they would look at themselves and say, I need a sin offering. And then they'd look out to the sacrifice, well, I need something without spot or blemish. And so for the spiritual man, the man of faith in Israel, they would look and say, you know what? The only way that I can have my sins forgiven is a substitute, a sacrifice who was without spot or blemish. It was, it was preaching the gospel to them. You were unclean. You need a substitute who is not. No one was without sin, So they were always looking for one without spot or blemish. They laid their hands upon the sacrifice. They they rested upon it. They leaned upon it. There was no hope without laying on that sacrifice. There was no hope without leaning upon and resting upon and even identifying with that sacrifice. They offered the inward parts in this peace offering. Um, Psalm 7, verse 9 through 11 says, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and the reins. Now, you, you find that throughout the Old Testament, trying the hearts and the reins. Reins is the same word, Hebrew word for kidney here in Leviticus 3. So he tries the hearts and the reins. He, he looks to the hearts, the inward parts of man. Is what this is the psalm was talking about. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. So, these worshipers, as they would come, and in David's time, they would, would sing this psalm, and there they would offer this peace offering, and they would offer the inward parts unto God as a, as a sacrifice. And so, perhaps. Uh, this is is showing that in the peace offering and the worship of God, what God is looking for is not the outward but the inward. And so, if we're going to offer our praise into God. It's we need to offer the inward man, and that is what is offered here in this uh, this uh, peace offering. We won't read it, but in the Levit- Leviticus chapter seven, Leviticus six and seven. Um, goes back over these offerings again. and gets a little bit into detail. and Leviticus seven gives some more information about the peace offerings. And they were a free will offering whenever you completed the vow, so uh, like a thanks offering. You can find about this free will peace offering. it's only required at Pentecost. And then the worshiper was allowed to eat the sacrifice. So it was a food offering. Um, so this was unique. And the burnt offering, remember, they gave it, and it was wholly consumed except for the the, the skin. Everything else was burnt to a crisp. The peace offering is just a portion of it. So the, the meal offering, they offered the whole thing. The priest would just take a memorial and make that offering, Then the priest would keep it. Well, here they would offer their peace offering. Only part of it was consumed and then the rest was, was given back. So they gave the whole thing unto God. The priest would burn the liver and the fat and so forth and then give the rest of the meat back to the worshiper. Leviticus 7.15 says, And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day that is offered. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. And so it goes on to talk about some rules about the offering. So you go and make this offering, and you offer this this uh, thanksgiving offering. so you complete a vow and you say, "Well'm you know I have to do this for the Lord and I'm not gonna, I'm not going to drink wine or I'm not going to eat bread or whatever the case may be until this vow is completed. He completes it, he gives the the peace offering. Well now. It's a feast. Now you offer that peace offering unto God and you're going to get back all this meat and you get to eat of that meat. It's interesting in uh, Proverbs chapter 7 in verse 14, Proverbs 7 is a story about that woman who's trying to catch the man in adultery. If you remember that, uh, the way of the harlot, um, if the boy's, Walking down the street, passing the street near her house in the evening. And this woman comes out and, and catches him and kisses him. And she catches him on the corner and catches his eye. And in verse 14, it says, I have peace offerings with me. This day I've paid my vows. My husband's gone. I made a peace offering today. I, I finished my vows. Well, what was she saying? I've got a banquet at home, steaks and all kinds of uh, delicious meat here, um, fresh. I, have to, I, I offer this to the Lord. Um, and so this, this harlot is trying to lure this boy in um, through his stomach, first of all, and lure him back in there and say, oh, I've got all kinds of good food back at home, and, and I have to eat it. I have to eat it today. It'll go to waste. The Lord won't let me. I keep it till tomorrow it has to be eaten today well she she lure, used that as one of the lures to um to get his attention, but that's why that's so significant there that's the point of that story. that's the point of that proverb she has her peace offerings with her she's got that big banquet at home and then can't wait till the morning. It has to be eaten that same day but uh that kind of explains that proverb anyway the they would eat this vow, or eat this uh, meat in the presence of the Lord. And that was another th- bad thing about that adulterous woman, is she used that religious uh, religious means as a guise? So, well, you don't have to worry about me. I, I'm a godly woman. Um, you, don't have to, you don't have to be discerning with me. I just paid my vows to the Lord. I just offered a sacrifice. You don't have to worry about, uh, you, know, you can let your guard down with me. Um, but she had the outward form of religion, but she had no she had no faith. Well, the worshiper ate in the presence of God, so you come and you give all, you give this animal, the animal is the sacrifice, and then the Lord gives back to the individual. But it has to be the order, the right order. The burnt offering was for sin. Now that the sin has been taken care of, there is communion. That's why the burnt offering and the, the peace offering go hand in hand because there can't be peace. You can't offer a peace offering by itself. What are you going to offer to God? You don't have anything to offer to God. You don't have anything to make peace with God. When Amos said, make your peace with God, he didn't say, sit down at the bargaining table with God and, and work something out. God is holy and righteous. You're the one that has sinned. And until the sin problem is dealt with, there can be no peace. Until the sin problem has been dealt with, there can be no peace with the Holy God. So first, the burnt offering. Sin has been dealt with. The problem has been dealt with. The problem that has separated us. The problem with our enmity against God has been dealt with. The sin has been forgiven. We have been washed and cleansed. Now, after that sin offering is made... Then there can be the peace offering. Then there can be the communion. Then there can be the feast and the joy and the fellowship. So as the man of faith would come, he would offer his burnt offering. The the sin had been dealt with, he offers his peace offering. And he offers that and the meat is provided to the individual and then he may dwell there in the house of God and and eat and feast and, and fellowship. Now somebody took a uh, uh somebody took a beef to the temple or the tabernacle, he's not going to sit there and eat that all by himself. What's he going to do? He's going to eat it with his brother. brothers and sisters. He's going to, he's going to call them in, and they're going to rejoice with him, and they're going to feast with him. Um, psalm sixty six thirteen, um, is another psalm about this offering. Notice what it says there: "I will go into thy house with the burnt offerings." I will pay thee my vows. Okay, the burnt offering was for the sin. The offering for the vows was the peace offering, according to Leviticus 7. With my lips have I uttered, and my mouth have I spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer unto thee burnt sacrifices, the fatlings, with the incense of rams, the burnt offering. I will offer the bullocks with the goats. That's the peace offering. So we go into the house of God with the burnt offerings and pay the vows and have the peace offerings. The sin is forgiven, and then the fellowship and the communion is enjoyed. You can't have peace with God apart from the sin sacrifice. You can't have communion with God apart from the sacrifice. We can have communion with God, but only through, um, only through the sacrifice, only for, through the blood of the Lamb. In, um, in Deuteronomy 12, there's another Old Testament example. We'll look at two examples in Deuteronomy of this uh, peace offering. first is in Deuteronomy 12. Verse number 1 says, These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess in all the days that ye live on the earth. And then down in verse six it says, "And hither, and thither ye shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and your heave offerings of your hand, your vows and your free will offerings and the firstlings of your herd and of your flocks. And there ye shall eat before the Lord your God, and ye shall rejoice in all that ye put in your, hand, in your hand unto ye and your households, wherein the Lord and thy God hath blessed thee." So, God delivers them into the land. God gives them um, wells they didn't dig and, and farms they didn't plant and so forth. And when they offer their burnt offerings, when they offer their heave offerings, then they offer their free will and their vow offerings. And what do they do then? Then they eat before the Lord, they feast and they rejoice. And they praise and they worship. And there is a, a feeling of, of joy. The, the Pharisees and the scribes were concerned with the outward, fasting several times a week. And, um, but that wasn't commanded of God. All those fastings and stuff that the Pharisees and scribes did, God didn't command all those. But you do see it's a peace offering, joy, and feasting, and happiness in the worship of God. It's also the very same thing, and I know it's cold and dark, we'll just skip it. But if you want to read it later, it's Deuteronomy 27, that um, God said, whenever you cross into the Jordan, You set up the stones as a memorial, and then you offer peace offerings. Verse 6, it says, You shall build the altar to the Lord thy God of whole stones, and thou shalt offer burnt offerings unto the Lord thy God, and thou shalt offer peace offerings, and shalt eat there and rejoice before the Lord thy God. So again, the burnt offerings, God brings them across Jordan. God answers their prayers, God makes good on his promise. They offer the burnt offerings for their sins, then they offer the peace offerings and eat before the Lord and they rejoice before the Lord. The sins are forgiven and then they commune with God in this peace offering. They, they eat of that sacrifice and they rejoice. It puts you in mind of when Christ tells us to, to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. That's not the Lord's Supper, but we do that by faith, don't we? we 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 by faith we receive Christ, and there there is joy in Christ there's not joy without Christ there's not joy the joy of the Lord is not found outside of Christ. you can't have the joy of the Lord if your sins aren't forgiven, but when we trust Christ and we receive Christ and we abide in Christ then there is joy and there's fellowship with Christ there is fellowship between us and the father and and the spirit and the son and we have communion with god by faith and this peace offering pictures our lord jesus christ who not only forgives us of our sins but makes communion with god possible to make communion with our father possible it's it's not it's more of eating before the lord is a a like the feast of the father made for the prodigal who's returned the fatted calf. The prodigal comes back, said, "I'm not even worthy to be called your son." And he says, "Well, first I'm I'm gonna clean you up. I'm gonna take those rags off of you. I'm gonna clean you up. Then we're gonna feast." It's really the it's really the same here. First, there's the burnt offering, the cleaning the cleaning up. Then the father says, "Now we're gonna feast." now there's going to be joy now there's going to be rejoicing and so the burnt offering and the peace offering the prodigal returns the dad grabs a hold of him hugs his neck, cleans him up sits him down and then they feast Hezekiah same thing he becomes king, he invites everybody Israel and Judah both come to Jerusalem for the Passover Judah comes but most of Israel just laughs at him though a few do come. And they have the Passover, and Hezekiah speaks comfortably unto the Levites that taught the knowledge of the Lord. They feasted for seven days, and they offered their peace offerings. And there was great rejoicing and blessing. And there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, there was not like in Jerusalem. So you find with the, this peace offering, there's there's that feasting, but there's also joy. First there's cleansing, then there's forgiveness, then there's worship and praise. Well, we have um, peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and and um, lastly, I want to look at a few New Testament or two New Testament texts and consider what the New Testament says Christ has done for us and what this peace offering was representing. So in uh, Romans chapter 5, we'll just look at a few, I have a few thoughts here and then we'll look at the book of Ephesians. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way we can have peace. Amos 5.21, God says, I hate, I despise your feast days and I will not smell your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. God says, you can offer me those sacrifices all day long and I despise them because they're not given to me in faith. You're just going through the motions. You don't care anything about me. You don't care anything about my word, my law. You don't love me. You're just Offering animals, and I despise those because they're not offered in faith. Even in the Old Testament, it was, uh, they, were, uh, they were saved by grace through faith. Paul says we are justified by faith, not through the works of the law, not through our offerings to God, but by faith in the finished sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's through him that we have peace with God by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Christ Jesus paid for our sins. And by faith we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and we are forgiven, we are justified. We stand cleansed and we stand um, righteous by the imputed righteousness of Christ and therefore we have peace with God and we stand in that grace wherein we have wherein we rejoice the offering of the sacrifice in Christ justified by faith our sins are forgiven and then where do we stand we stand in grace we stand in peace and we stand rejoicing in God We are justified by his blood in verse number 9. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received the atonement. Salvation, forgiveness of sins, communion, and joy. Jesus fulfilled those Old Testament sacrifices. That's why, that's why um, I, I'm a preacher and I'm not a butcher. And you, know, you don't bring sacrifices and offer, offer them here um, on Sundays because Jesus fulfilled all those things. We don't have to cut up animals and offer them on the fire and so forth because Jesus, there's just a picture of what Jesus did. And, and we truly and actually have fellowship with Jesus and the Father and the Spirit. And we have joy and communion with Him through what Christ has done for us. Last thing we will look at is Ephesians chapter two. And this is another way to think about this offering and why the new test, the new covenant, is better than the old covenant. Ephesians two eleven. Wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of promises, having no hope without God in the world. The peace offering in the Old Testament was for Israel. You and I here tonight are Gentiles. We'd be out in the cold. We'd have no burnt offering. We'd have no way of forgiveness of sins, unless we, you know, proselytized. But there weren't very, you know, there were Gentiles who were saved, but not very many. We Gentiles were out in the cold, as the text says, aliens, strangers from the Commonwealth. But now. I love those conjunctions in the book of Ephesians. Strangers, aliens, having no hope without God in the world, but now. But now in Christ Jesus, we didn't have hope before, but but now we do. In Christ Jesus, you were sometimes were far off made nigh by the blood of Christ. There's so much animosity in the world right now based upon what people look like, based upon where people are from. But the blessedness of the gospel tells us that we are, we are one in Christ. No more Jew or Gentile. No more animosity. No more separation by where you're from or where your family's from or anything such as that. In Christ, we are made nigh by His blood. We are, we are one blood in Christ. And, and Christ has brought Jew and Gentile together. Jew and Gentile were at odds with one another. They were enemies in the flesh. The circumcision versus the uncircumcision. But in verse 14, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. "...having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in the ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body on the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and preached peace to you, which were far off, and to them that were not. For through him we we, we both have access by one Spirit and the Father." So, remember in times past we were far off without Christ, aliens, without country without commonwealth, without covenant without hope, without God but now we are made we we who were far were brought near we who were separated were made one we who were blocked out The walls came down. The commandments were against us, but Christ fulfilled those commandments for us. He died for our sins, that we broke the commandments. He lived righteously for us that we might have his righteousness. We were at enmity with God, but now we're at peace. He is our peace. We are united with Christ in verses 13 and 14. Why? How? By the blood by the sacrifice. We are no longer outcasts, but made one. We are united to Christ. One new man, there's no more war. There's peace has been made on the cross. Sins were paid for in the cross. We who were enemies are now friends. We who are far off and aliens are now in the household of God. In verse 19, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth to a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you are builded together for a habitation through the, through the Spirit. So now in Christ, there is family and unity and oneness, fellow citizenships, no longer strangers, no longer unclean, but in the family, with peace with God and fellowship with God and fellowship with the brethren built upon the same foundation, the same same house, the building united together in what Christ has done for us, made peace for us. So we're not on the outside looking in. We're not not the the warring people of the Old Testament, but, but through Christ, he has not only saved his elect. Of that chosen nation, but he is saved of every nation and tribe and tongue in the world and made peace so we can have peace with God. Dealt with the sin problem that we can have communion with God. Dealt with the real reason for, for our war, and that is our sin. And this offering pictures the, the union that we have with Jesus. And then we can go before a holy God now and not have to be afraid. If you're a sinful man, you, you have to be afraid. Because the thing that causes the war, remember we read there, God is angry with the wicked every day. Why? Because of sin. But now, child of God, think about this, that Jesus took care of the sin problem. The only way you can have peace with God is if the sin problem is taken care of. And if there's the sin problem is taken care of, then there's no more cause for the enmity. I'm not at enmity with God anymore because God has given me life and given me a new heart. And God himself says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Why? Because my sins have been paid for and I've been given his righteousness. So I am at Peace. And I don't have to fear with a, uh, servant, a servile fear. I fear in the sense of awe and worship and reverence. But I don't have to, to be terrified as a, as a rebel. But I can come humbly before the Father with boldness to the throne room because I have peace. We can come before the throne of grace because peace has been made. And not only that, not only is there peace, but there's fellowship and communion. And so they offered that sacrifice. They got all, uh, got all that beef and got all that steak. And, and now they can sit there and they can eat and, and, and rejoice and feast and praise God and be thankful and happy and rejoice with one another in what God has done for them because their sins have been paid for. And they have peace with God. And that's what this sacrifice represented. And I know when you read chapter 3, it just sounds, like I said, it sounds like a butcher instruction manual. Um, but it was it was a picture. it's an illustration. And you had to live that. And you had to do it every day. And you had to look at it. And you had to meditate on it. And you had to think about it. But that's what it was telling us. It was pointing us to the better. The, the New Testament. The New Covenant. Our true peace with God.